can take you with them on a bus or train, on a highway, or on a plane, backstage, or on a bike. It's Kevin Klein's Fuzzy Mike. Fuzzy Mike interviews. Not top of mind, not even the news. No way. Just a bunch of stuff that Kevin likes. All recorded with this Fuzzy Mike. You get the Don King reference. It looks to hear that or a tip of a horse's tail. So we'd like to thank you all ahead of time for listening to Fuzzy Mike with your friend Kevin Klein. COVID-19, the coronavirus sweeping across the globe and basically changing the way we live on a daily basis. Lots of information out there, lots of misinformation as well. So I thought to give us the proper perspective, we would go and chat with one of the world's leading toxicologists, Houston-based toxicology doctor, the tox doc, Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry. Dr. Noreen, how are you? I'm great, Kevin. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm much better speaking with you because you are <laughs> an expert in toxicology. You're an expert in what they are now calling the safety, uh, the safety profession. And yeah, absolutely, <laughs> being that we have COVID nineteen basically shutting down uh, not only uh, our city but pretty much the right. entire country, uh, we need a calming presence. We need a calming voice, and that's why I'm coming to you. Wonderful, thank you so much. I appreciate your confidence in my expertise, and I also appreciate you know you taking care of your listeners because there are a lot of real crazy conspiracy theories out there. There's a lot of misunderstanding and frustration going on. So it's wonderful to be able to try and help each other in this really unprecedented time in our history. Did you ever think that we would be in a time where you would have to be teaching adults how to wash their hands? Um, actually, <laughs> given my microbiology background, absolutely, because I see people do it improperly all the time. I mean, I've always been the one that you know, tries to lead by example. So sometimes I'll stay at the at the basin a little bit longer next to the other ladies at work to try to say, hey, you see me cleaning under my nails, you see me taking a little bit longer, getting a second or third pump of soap, you know, as opposed to just some people who just put their hands under water and just pull them out. I actually have had to explain to people, you know, if you're just putting your hands in water, you're not using any soap, all you're doing is taking the germs that were isolated in one area and just spreading them around your entire surface area of both of your hands now. And she said, wow, Noreen, I never thought about that. I really do have to use soap. And this was when I was, you know, early 20s and, you know, she was in her 50s. So there's a lot of people who just don't have the habits in place that we kind of assume that everybody does. So, you know, I've always been like, hey, you know, to my daughter, to my husband, you have to be very careful, you know, when you are shaking hands and when you're hugging people, you know, just you don't know where their hands have been previously. So always just practice care, wash your hands as soon as you can. Um, but now, you know, we're to a point where we've got some really, you know, strong pathogens that our bodies just aren't used to being exposed to. And that's really the big issue that we're having here. We, our bodies don't have the antibodies that will combat COVID-19. And so for particularly vulnerable um, populations like our elders, like people who have um, autoimmune diseases, people who have compromised immune systems in other ways, people who take biologics, people who have had cancer treatments and have taken a hit to their immune systems, they are particularly vulnerable. And so sometimes 
those of us who won't be hit hard by COVID-19 will get the virus, will be able to survive. You know, it's not about protecting ourselves. It's protecting, you know, those vulnerable populations because those are our family members. Those are the people that we work with. Those are the people that we, you know, we play with, that we worship with, that we just spend time with. And we don't want to, you know, see them um, come to this, you know, really pathogenic disease right now because, again, there's no, you know, there's there's no way that we can prepare ourselves for this. Our, the antibodies just aren't there, and there is no vaccine, and there's no antivirals that have been approved in place to help that vulnerable population. So it's hard, you know, it's it's odd to say yes to that question, but yeah, <laughs> you know, this is something that a safety professional that is a health scientist, that is a medical scientist, we have you know, practice for, you know, in in bioterrorism, we thought about it as something that was intentional. Now this is an unintentional, um, you know, virus. And so we have kind of the same safety practices that you, that kind of, that just basically are inherent for us who have practiced for this in the past. It comes back up again. So Dr. Noreen, going back to washing our hands, how, how hard do we have to scrub? Well, I mean, you definitely need to be intentional about it because like I was telling, saying earlier, some people just throw their hands underwater or they'll grab soap and they'll do it for two seconds and, and, and they'll walk away. But really pay attention to covering every single, you know, uh, portion of your hands and then get under those nails, those nail beds, under the fingernails. That is, you know, when it comes to, microbiologists talk about in terms of the hands they always talk about under the nail beds because people don't think about cleaning under their nails their fingernails every single time they wash you know you'll see some people that may clean under them you know once or twice a day but as you're handling things you know the the amount of germs that embed under there are really you know it's, it's astronomical when you put it under a microscope but normally we're fine because we're not dealing with pathogens. But right now, when we're dealing with potential pathogens, we definitely want to pay, just pay attention. You know, if you can do it for 20 or 30 seconds, think of a, you know, a tune or just hum something or just do the countdown. Uh-huh. <laughs> and eventually it becomes a habit to where, you know, even when you're not as intentional, you're still washing your hands just as thoroughly. Okay, but wait a minute. We have... Uh, these uh, these gels that kill 99.9% right. of all bacteria, why can't we just use the Purell's in, in that stuff? You know, we've done a lot of swab experiments. Several people have done swab experiments. I love when school teachers do these swab experiments and they swab the hand of someone who has washed their hands with soap and water versus someone who has used several pumps of hand sanitizer. And that sanitized hand really sanitized. So it's not as effective as people think, just as people aren't as intentional, um, you know, with soap and water, they aren't intentional with hand sanitizer. It is not foolproof. However, soap and water, especially warm water, it really does get everything, you know, if you pay attention and you wash your hands long enough. It is the best line of defense. And it seems so simple. It is so simple. It's just all about making sure that people actually put that into practice. Over the years, I know that you've seen plenty of people just walk out of bathrooms without washing their hands. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so we just have to retrain people. Hey, let's do what we were taught when we were kids, and let's, let's spend some time washing our hands. Does soap need to be antibacterial? 
You know, actually, I don't recommend antibacterial soap because it will have triclosan. Triclosan can lead to further resistance, meaning when there is something that is even more pathogenic, when a virus mutates down the line and there's something stronger that we are exposed to in the future, if we are exposed to this antibacterial soap, we are um, the bacteria will resist, you know, that type of um, ingredient. So that's why I recommend plain soap and water. Okay. Bar soap is great. You know, we get a lot of those bar soaps and we kind of toss them to the side or we use them for decoration. It's time to pull out the bar soap. I know a lot of people are, are going crazy because they can't find um, antibacterial soap, but really any soap will do. And I prefer the regular soap. Moving forward, how do we not become OCD about washing our hands? Or is that a bad thing <laughs> that we become OCD about it? You know, if it if it's just about washing your hands, if we become OCD just about, you know, I'm okay with that. But I don't think that we'll become OCD. I think that we'll definitely just learn to pay attention, um, you know, when we're washing our hands. And then there's always the people that'll kind of revert to their old ways of not washing hands. I've seen that happen time and time again as well. But, um, you know, it's just a good habit to make sure that you're not bringing something into your home that you shouldn't. You know, when I get off of a plane, this has always been my practice because I know I'm in an environment that's enclosed where the air isn't circulating and I'm, you know, exposed to a lot of different people. I take off those clothes, you know, when I get in the house. I don't, you know, do a lot of hugging um, with my family members because I want to get those clothes off of me. You know, you're basically kind of cross-contaminating. You're introducing whatever you've been exposed to outside throughout the day, you're bringing that home. So, you know, if you have one of those plastic containers with the lid that snaps closed, use, use one to put your shoes in, you know, the family's shoes, and use another one to put the, drop the clothes in if you have an area where you can do that when you first enter your home and or apartment. You mentioned that you uh, you don't hug anybody when you just get off of an airplane. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I am kind of a hugger, but I'm also a handshaker. We're being told right. now that physical contact, not very good. How should we be greeting yeah. each other? It really should be a touchless greeting. We're also trained to sneeze and cough into our elbows. So, you know, we're, we're sneezing and coughing into fabric, which is porous material, and then you're rubbing it on the next person whose fabric is porous material. And when I tell you how quickly, you know, bacteria can transfer, again, normally not an issue. You know, when we've got this kind of pathogenic virus out there, we don't want to touch at all. So, you know, I namaste, live long and prosper, the Wakanda salute, the, you know, the, the sign language um you know, heart salute, you know, uh, waving high, curtsying, you know, <laughs> any way that, we, you know, just think of a way to, to say hi and say, you know, Corona strong, you know, we are not good. We are survivors. We're going to get through this. And, you know, it, it's really a big inconvenience for us to be at home and not able to just go about our daily lives. But the faster that we do this, uh, then and we have the maximum amount of participation, the faster we can actually flatten that curve and get over this coronavirus. Some people I've seen saying that, oh, we're giving up our basic rights. We're not really giving up our basic rights. We're taking care of each other. We're taking care of our neighbors. We're taking care of our most vulnerable populations by doing something that is inconvenient for now. How will the hot Houston summer affect this virus? You know, hopefully the, the bright sunlight and the UV rays will kill the virus 
Um, however, that is no guarantee. We have seen viruses go down in the summer. We've seen people get the flu in off-season in the summer. So there's no guarantee that it'll totally go away, but we're expecting and very hopeful that the numbers will go down. But there's also a possibility as fall rolls back around, those numbers could go back up. So, again, that is why getting a handle on this now and, um, you know, social distancing is what we should do. Social distancing, you bring it up. Why is six feet the general rule? Well, you know, when a person coughs or a person sneezes, you know, those droplets um, go into the air and they land on people and on surfaces, you know, anywhere from 10 to 25 feet away. And so six feet is, is, is a good rule because hopefully you're not getting the bulk of the droplets. If you're about six feet away, you still can get some. It's kind of hard to tell people to stay away 25 feet. So it's kind of, it's pretty much a good compromise, you know, six feet away. You're definitely not hugging and touching and leaning in. Um, a lot of people are, you know, kind of defiant of the rules and they're still getting together in groups and they're leaning and hugging. And, you know, even I had to, to say at a dinner, hey, you know, um, let's not touch or at least don't touch me <laughs> because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shake hands. I would, I, and I'm a handshaker and I'm a big time hugger. Hugging is just something I do. I love to hug people. I love to reach out, but you know, it's something right now I have to be prudent. I have to be wise and say, Hey, if I introduce something into my home, then I have introduced my husband and my daughter to a potentially pathogenic virus, which is going to be, you know, difficult. The symptoms are different for various people. Some people are having headaches. Some people have symptoms that are flu-like. Some people are asymptomatic. That's what makes this such an issue is because people are walking around asymptomatic and they are potentially spreading the virus. And that's why we're seeing community spread. There's also a lot of people who want to take tests beforehand. But as we saw with the ER doc in Seattle, he tested negative on Tuesday and yet, you know, by Saturday, he was in the ICU in critical condition. Well, and the other thing is we don't have enough tests. We just don't have enough tests Absolutely. in this country. Absolutely. And so you don't want a false negative. So you don't want to waste a test on a false negative. Um, you want to make sure that you're showing some symptoms that are potentially, you know, COVID-19 um, virus symptoms before you actually test, because otherwise you're wasting a test. And it, it, you know, depending upon the test you get, it may not have the sensitivity to detect, you know, your body's antibodies to um, COVID-19. And actually, in that kind of test, you'd have to take blood, which nobody's doing. They're doing the, the swab test, the swab of the throat, swab of the nose. So you really have to have enough sensitivity. You have to have enough um, virus you know, replication in your body, enough of those cells for that to be able to detect it. And that's why people are seeing false negatives if they're testing too early. When we get these drive-through testing facilities that, uh, that mm -hmm. we've been hearing about, how accurate will we be able to uh, trust in those numbers? You know, again, it depends on, you know, whether or not you're testing at the appropriate time. Um, so hopefully the people that are giving the test, they generally speaking right now, they're trying to give them training to know who to give tests to and who not to give tests to. You don't want to waste a test on someone who is just asymptomatic and says, hey, I just want to find out in advance. Because again, as much as we're talking to each other about good information, there's a lot of misinformation out there as well. I've seen people saying that certain groups are immune to getting coronavirus just because they have more melanin content in their skin, which is 
absolutely insane, but there are people that were actually that are actually believing that and spreading that around. So there there's a lot of really crazy rumors out there, and you know people are thinking, well, if we don't have a lot of deaths, um, you know, in America, we've done all this for nothing. But in comparison, flu kills about 0.1 percent people per year. The last pandemic was H1N1 in 2009. That killed 0.2% of the people globally. Right now, the current numbers that we have, we see a death rate of anywhere from 3.4 to 3.7% of the population of people who've had this virus globally that just are not surviving. And, you know, when you get the medical, um, the beds, the hospital beds overwhelmed and you don't have enough respirators, because in America we only have one bed, one hospital bed per 1,000 people. On a regular day, you've got about a 65% occupancy rate, okay? Uh-huh. And then what we're seeing is 15 to 17% on average people need to actually be in the hospital. They need to be in the ICU. When we're talking about our older populations, that uh, percentage jumps up into the 40 and 50% percentile. So that's why you want to not overwhelm our hospital system. And, um, you know, I hope that they are going to send in um, Army Corps of Engineers around the country to build some makeshift ICUs, you know, create more hospital beds in areas where, you know, you've got buildings that aren't currently populated so that, you know, when you have um, cities, you know, like Houston, which are pretty much mega cities, uh, almost mega cities, um, you want to be able to house everyone you possibly can and not have to make those kind of tough decisions that they're making in Italy right now um, in terms of, you know, having to pick and choose who they treat. Yeah, no, it's like, it's, is, it's like battlefield triage. It's like triage, right. you know, you, 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 exactly. you, in Italy, you brought it up. That was my, uh, one of the sobering things I read was that Italy per capita has three times more hospital beds than we do. And they have Absolutely. now nearly 2000 deaths in, 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 in Italy. And I was just like, yeah. if that happens here, that would be right. And, and it's shocking when you look at other countries that are much smaller that have hospital beds, um, you know, for their population than we do in comparison. But again, that's why you want to social distance. You don't want to be one of the ones that needs a respirator. You don't want to be one of the ones that um, ends up in the hospital because, you know, people with cardiovascular and respiratory issues, no matter what age you are, they are going to suffer more than other people if they are to contract the COVID-19 virus. Um, they were talking about how there were people in their 20s and 30s um, succumbing to COVID-19 in France. People were asking about Italy, and they said, yeah, there is a certain population, and we're trying to figure out why those younger people are, you know, succumbing to COVID-19. So there's a lot to be, you know, discovered and, and found out in terms of how this particular virus works and whether or not these people were predisposed, whether or not they had pre pre-existing conditions. Um, we just don't know. Um, so again, you know, I know the kids want to play with each other. I know that, you know, parents are going a little bit insane right now, but you know, my daughter had a group FaceTime with their friends into the wee hours. I just let it go because, you know, I rather her be on a group FaceTime than trying to go over to somebody's house or vice versa, because that really just cannot happen right now. It really should not. What about face masks? How do they uh, play a role Mm -hmm. in this? 
So, you know, the only face mask that will actually work would be your half face or full face respirators, which you would have to get fitted for. And you cannot have, um, you know, any kind of facial hair to break the seal. I saw a guy, um, you know, the other day in the grocery store, he had on a, uh, a full face respirator, but he broke his seal because he put a, a kind of like a, a headscarf on and, and that broke the seal from the skin. So you have to be fitted appropriately. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And really, that only gives you about 30 minutes of protection if you're in a really highly contaminated area. The little dust masks, they are basically a waste of money. Now, if you yourself are coughing or you yourself are sneezing, you do need to put on that dust mask because then when you sneeze, it's going to be caught in that little face mask. You need to dispose of it often. And when you dispose of it, you need to bag it and seal it in plastic and not just throw it because some of those particles could evaporate and get into, you know, air and around the surfaces around the area. So you do have to be very, you know, practical when it comes to that. So a lot of people are just wearing those thinking it's protecting them. It's not protecting you. Um, you know, when a surgeon wears a face mask, it's to protect the patient from the surgeon's germs. So when you're the one who is the patient, if you happen to be around other people or going out in public, which you should not be, but if you were, you're the one who needs the mask, not the person who is actually trying to be protected. Wipe down your surfaces as much as possible. Uh, we are now in a in a process where we're hearing that uh, different uh, doctors and biologists are working mm-hmm. together to come up with a vaccine or to come up with Absolutely. a treatment. Is this going to be yeah. an unprecedented uh, speed that we see possibly a vaccine or a cure? So even with the first uh, trial that started yesterday, they still predict that it would be another year and a half before it would get approval. Our approval process is notoriously slow because it has to have all of the safety checks, all of the peer reviews. Um, I personally have written standards for air quality and water quality, and I know how long of a process that is. So a vaccine is much, much more intense, takes a lot longer because you're actually putting this inside someone's body. So um, there may be some areas where they can um, go a little bit faster. But again, from what I've heard, it would be at least a year and a half still. So do you think that between now and a year and a half, will things get better or will we, is this a new normal for us? You know, I hope it will get better. And and again, if we, if we put in the, if we, we deal with the discomfort now on a mass scale in terms of, you know, distancing ourselves and staying away from each other and maybe finding different ways to communicate, be it FaceTime, be it more social media, but good social media, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) as opposed to the stressful social media, um, then, you know, we can, we can, we can survive this and we can make this better. It'll, it's probably our new normal in the short term. We don't think it'll be our new normal in the long term. If we put in the work now, I've seen a lot of people who have been arrogant, who have been joking. A lot of that arrogance kind of disappear as the days move forward. Um, you know, as a, as a scientist, um, it's never, fun when we hear, you know, people who aren't educated about, you know, how pathogenic these viruses can be just joke. Um, It's, it's really, it's cringeworthy when I see so many people putting out recipes for homemade hand sanitizers, which are really dangerous. A lot of them are ineffective because the alcohol they're using is not strong enough or they're using too much and they're actually burning skin. And you really have to be careful with your skin, especially with all the extra hand washing that you moisturize because the top layer of your skin is the stratum corneum. And as your skin dries out and it cracks, 
you allow, um, you know, uh, pathogens to potentially get lower into the dermis and eventually into systemic circulation in your bloodstream. So that's why it's important to also moisturize um, routinely as well. Uh, so, I mean, there's just so much to cover, but at the same time, we can do this. I mean, you know, it's kind of like getting back to the basics. Wash your hands, you know, put, you know, moisturizer, lotion on your hands and on your body. Uh, wash your hands, you know, singing the happy birthday song. Use soap and water. Get under the nails. Um, you know, wipe down surface. You know, just pay attention to what you're doing. Try to isolate anything that comes outside of your house. At, right at the front door so that you're not cross-contaminating your indoor air quality. And just, you know, take those precautions and they'll become second nature and you'll be fine. We'll be fine. I, I really, I'm, I'm confident because, you know, the American people are so smart. When they decide to do something, you know, we do it very well. It's just about making that decision to say, okay, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to protect the people around me. This is not a time for me to be selfish. This is not a time for me to buy into conspiracy theories about giving up my rights. This is about doing the right thing because we as Americans, especially as Estonians, we band together. We're used and strong. We're, you know, we, we take care of each other, and this is the time to really do that. Yeah, it is the unfortunate aspect of this is that some of it has been politicized. And you know what? It's uh, it's we're all in this together. It's affecting everybody, regardless of what party or or what uh, what race or creed or religion you are. And like you said, uh, it's something that we that we can do, but it's something we have to do. Right. I, you know, it, it 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 hurts when health and science are part of politics, because, again, this is something that affects all of us. But unfortunately, you know, that is what happens. But let's set aside, you know. You mentioned there's good social media and bad social media, mm-hmm. and social yeah. media has made everybody an expert in some field. <laughs> You're right about <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, but you uh, are the expert. You are uh, Dr. Uh, Noreen, our uh, local and uh, international tox doc. And I say international, you're galactic, as a matter of fact. You're the first space <laughs> toxicologist doctor, right? Yeah, the first female space toxicologist in the world. I'm also, um, I have international credentials for disaster preparedness around the globe. I was a fellow for the International Congress of Disaster Advances. Um, I uh, was a you know, expert reviewer for Department of Health and Human Services for bioterrorism. You know, I have been consulting and working with the federal government in the federal government for 16 years. Um, I've been consulting for 20 years in environmental health and safety. So this is something I do. It's second nature, and I love to be able to give back to the community. I love to be able to take technical content and make it easy to understand and easy to implement for the you know average everyday person. Yeah, well, you're talking to a morning radio host here, and my uh, my thinking and critical thinking skills are like a fifth grader, and I've understood everything you said. So you're perfect <laughs> awesome. at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. What's the website where we can follow you? So my website is drnoreen.com spelled out, but right now I'm posting um, most often on my Facebook, which is also doctor spelled out, Noreen, facebook.com forward slash Dr. Noreen, or on um, IG and on Twitter at drnoreen. So find me on there. You'll get the latest and greatest information. I do answer questions sometimes in some way, but I definitely get back to people. Awesome. Well, you have been a wealth of information for us. You've been, as I 
predicted, a very calming influence to us. And thank you so much for taking time to talk with us and for, uh, for all of your expertise, Doc. We appreciate you. You're welcome, and thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on. Have a great day, and stay safe and healthy. That's Dr. Noreen Khan Mayberry, the Tox Doc. Again, if you miss those web addresses, you can go to Dr. Noreen, D-O-C-T-O-R-N-O-R-E-E-N.com, or just follow her on Facebook or Instagram, D-R-N-O-R-E-E-N, Dr. Noreen Thank you so much, Dr. Noreen, for joining us on The Fuzzy Mike. This episode of The Fuzzy Mike, executive producer Trish Klein, social media director Lisa Tynan, and production elements by Zach Sheesh at The Radio Farm. I'm your host, Kevin Klein. Thank you for listening to this bonus coverage of COVID-19, the coronavirus, right here on The Fuzzy Mike. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fuzzy Mike with Kevin Klein. Check back often and stay fuzzy, friends. Fuzzy Mike is a presentation of the Kevin Klein Fuzzy Mike Industry, Incorporated, LLC.